welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Wow, we have a crowd today. We started back doing our weekly study. We're going to start with the first verse of the Tao Te Ching. I'm not looking at any old study notes. I want us just to take this where we are right now and see how it speaks to us. Let's see, we have Tina and Brian and Paul and Scotty and Russ and Justin and Rob and Craig and Bish and Brian. Good to have you guys. Anyone that would like to join us, we're meeting now at 9 p.m. Eastern on Saturday mornings. So you're welcome anytime. The link, you can get the link at the Facebook group, which is the same logo, Dial of Our Understanding, name, or you could email me, Buddy C. Arthur at Gmail is a good one. I can get that to you. It's Buddy C. A U T H O R. Any announcements? Just go to BuddyC.org. We got a lot of resources there. You can see a lot of stuff there that may be beneficial or helpful to you. First verse. Anyone have a translation that they want to start with the first verse? Yes, Rob. I like Mitchell. Verse one. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The unnameable is the eternally real. Naming is the origin of all particular things. Free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. Yet mystery and manifestations arise from the same source. This source is called darkness. Darkness within darkness, the gateway to all understanding. Any comments to add? This one is, this one's a tough one. (laughs) I feel like it's been a while since we've been through this, but I remember a lot to chew on. And it, it doesn't really mirror I mean, it does, but on first glance, it's different than a lot of the other more life application things like working too hard and basing your worth on other people's opinions, et cetera. So I'm going to be anxious to <laughs> leave this to the group and you, buddy, to help me re-understand exactly what it, what they're getting to here. Sorry, I'm not too deep this morning. No, that's fine. That's fine. Anyone else have a comment or a translation they would like to share? Hi, buddy. I can read Ron Hogan's translation. That would be great. Thanks. Okay. If you can talk about it, it ain't Tao. If it has a name, it's just another thing. Tao doesn't have a name. Names are for ordinary things. Stop wanting stuff. It keeps you from seeing what's real. When you want stuff, all are things. Those two sentences mean the same thing. Figure them out and you've got it made. And I'll read those two sentences again. Stop wanting stuff. It keeps you from seeing what's real. When you want stuff, all are things. And okay, those are the two sentences that mean the same thing. Figure them out and you've got it made. I like that one. I like that it was the shortest one. <laughs> I'll read Jonathan Starr's, A Way That Can Be Walked. 
is not the way. A name that can be named is not the name. The Tao is both named and nameless. As nameless, it's the origin of all things. As named, it's the mother of all things. A mind free of thought merged within itself beholds the essence of Tao. A mind filled with thought identified with its own perceptions beholds the mere forms of this world. Tao and this world seem different, but in truth, they are one and the same. The only difference is what we call them. How deep the mysterious is, how deep and mysterious is this unity? How profound, how great. It is the truth beyond the truth, the hidden within the hidden. It is the path to all wonder, the gate to the essence of everything. I like that very first sentence there. The way that can be walked is not the way. A name that can be named is not the name. Not that we can't follow this path, but I think probably more of walked within our own ability. Walked within self is the way I would think of that. Any comments, guys? That first, let's go back to the first stanza and go stanza by stanza with this. The Tao that can't, I'm just going to stay with, Rob, I'm going to stay with Stephen Mitchell, but we can use any of them for this. Um, The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. I think about recovery when somebody asks you how to get sober, let's say. The advice I give them is not the answer, right? Because we don't give advice. We share how it worked for us. We're not telling them, in other words. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't that the same way with any truth? It's not in the telling. It's in the, it's in the experience. It's back to the strawberry example again, right? Can't describe how the strawberry tastes. You've just got to taste it. Hmm. I was just going to second to, to say what Rob mentioned and just be thankful that we have multiple translations because even the Stephen Mitchell one, I think, uh, when did he write that? 1988 is deep. And the first one's always been tough for me, but when it, when we talk about the mis- the mysteries and the unity and how profound and great it is, and that I think is what's most attractive about this to me, besides being able to relate it to recovery. And I think that uh, I'm learning to do that the more I get into it. But that Ron Hogan one is probably the best translation for me on this first chapter, just keeping it simple. And the two lines that stick out for me in the third stanza is stop wanting stuff that keeps you from seeing what's real. And man, that's something I've been challenged with in the past, gosh, 18 months, just really being mindful of what else is going on besides drinking and wanting to use and wanting to change how I feel. That all goes away. And now it's, should I really have bought that? So that that's what that reminds me of. So again, just thankful for this group and being able to experience different translations because... For me, that would be, I'd spend a lot more time studying these older translations. That's all I got. Thanks. Hey, let me ask you a question, Justin. Yeah. So what is real? 
It says stop wanting stuff. It keeps you from seeing what's real. So what's the real? For me, being present, the now, being here now and not trying to get out of that, if it's positive or negative, usually it's, you know, when I'm trying to get out of that, it's, there's a negative. It could be very slight. It could be emptiness, not being okay with that emptiness, I guess, not being able to challenge myself to sit through that because I'm in a state of always wanting and moving and creating. I'm a creative person. I'm an artist. And I just feel like I am, I've lost time. So there's an angst there that uh, that's my challenge. And uh, what's real is the now. Let's not change it. Let's see what that is. And let's sit with it uh, and try to just be constructive in dealing with it. Yeah. Thank you. Russ. So, yeah, I love the paradox of the first verse. The first and the 81st are my favorite like the opposite of a sandwich, all the good stuff's on the ends. And it's always been that way for me. The first verse to me really speaks about not forcing. The entire doubt of Jing has to do with not forcing to me, but the first verse really has to do with that. In my mind, one of my favorite things about recovery is to as it was said before, the way that we plug in for each other, you know, the way that we're just present for each other. And I've been fortunate to have a great grand sponsor. Sponsor, not my grand sponsor, but my great grand sponsor, who texts me every single morning. He's a wonderful guy, and he always seems to be spot on. I know I'm not the only person he's texting every morning. And I know that's a big part of his recovery. I think it's really cool, but it always seems to line up with stuff. And today, his text says, searching for the answer to something may yield more knowledge than the answer. Today, I will seek knowledge more than answers. And that's like spot on with what we're doing right now. It's funny because I was watching a movie the other night, not even two days ago, and somebody made a, a big reference to a, a particle collider, a car, a collider. And I paused the movie and I asked Kate, I said, do you know about the Large Hadron Collider in CERN? And I was like, this is some super interesting stuff. We just got to stop. We got to go down the rabbit hole and look at Wikipedia. And, and I learned a bunch of cool stuff and that I didn't know. And they were talking about the Higgs boson and they were talking about the the space inside of atoms between particles. And I said, you know what that is, that empty space? And Kate said, what is that? I said, that's the doubt. We've been trying to, we've been trying to identify it, but it can't be, it can't be that because if we identify it, then that's not what it is. And it just, it, it, it reminded me that if a theoretical and a practical physicist can't identify this stuff, then I'm never going to be able to. So why should I keep? I don't need to try. I don't need to push. I don't need to force. Just accept it and uh, and live with it and drive on. So that's what I got. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Russ. Scotty. Hey, I was re- relating that first stanza a lot to early recovery and my struggle to figure out who or what God was 
what its role was in my life, like just trying to label and explain what God is or was. I quickly became aware that part of my recovery was going to be spirituality, finding something greater than myself. But I immediately tried to establish what it was and put a label on God and imagine what it could be and what it can do. And I started to figure out that once I start opening my mouth and trying to explain what it is and what it does and telling other people that, I box it in and whatever I think it is, more than likely it is not. And I have a sponsor and a wife that are more than capable of telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about and that I should probably just sit and listen. And the third part of that star translation where it says a mind free of thought merged within itself beholds the essence of Tao and a mind filled with thought identified with its own perceptions beholds the mere forms of this world is, is me trying to just live in that land of I don't know. I have this need to figure things out and have answers, but the more I can sit comfortably in not knowing, the better off I'm going to be and just accepting what's going on around me. I'm going to buddy in. Scotty, you reminded me of something. If you guys have never done this, Amy's not here. So I might have to fill in for her and get the big book quote in. This is more about alcoholism, the first paragraph. If you can go through and replace thinking for drinking, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and I'm just going to bounce down a little so I don't take so much time. Therefore, it's not surprising that our thinking careers have been characterized by countless and vain attempts to prove we could think like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his thinking is the great obsession of every abnormal thinker. This persistence, uh, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were problem thinkers and you could go on and on. That's exactly what you're talking about, Scotty. Rob. Yeah, I'm right with Scotty on this whole uh, try to define it. And uh, I've always been that way. Maybe it's a character trait of people who are in this predicament. But last night I was at a, a sober event and was talking to somebody early in recovery and that that whole discussion on okay what's the secret sauce in essence what are the five things i've got to do and what's the website and the test i got to take to be rid of this problem and i apply the same thing to <clears throat> defining spirituality defining the higher power and I it's strange because when I was in a system where everything was so narrowly defined for me, where I could go to a, a resource and actually read to you exactly the belief statement, the peace wasn't there. It was it's been bizarre for me, and that's probably one of the biggest surprises I've had in recovery is how much peace and how much love I've seen. And that I've experienced myself, I've experienced more peace cumulatively since I've been in recovery than I did my whole life prior. Not to say that I didn't have glimpses of it before. And I see peace and I see love in other people and they're all over the place. 
So they don't come back to this written document and this particular interpretation of whatever it is. I'm meeting people from all over the place who love. And that might have been the single biggest thing that blew my mind is, wait a minute, I can't deny this experience that these other people are having. But I've been told I have to define to the law exactly what I believe to defend. And (laughs) it just, boom. But I think to the degree that I can go, I don't know, there's this guy that I met and I'm getting to know he's a spiritual person and he says the most spiritual gesture that can be done made is i don't know and maybe this whole thing by naming it by buying it by owning it by possessing it maybe i'm robbing myself of what the divine is intending and by being so sure of something and with that confirmation bias, I'm robbing myself of what I could have if I'm just like open in the moment and willing to ride the ride. Another thing that this person says is every step is the way, which is that whole moment. And what's my purpose? Blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's as simple as getting up, being thankful, Paul, thank you, the gratitude guy, getting my five gratitudes off before my feet hit the floor in the morning, and then just when in doubt, just finding somebody to love on and doing the right next thing. Maybe that is it. And then all of the definition in the interim, uh, believe it, because I I don't know. I know less now than I did. I never knew anything. I just could quote you words in a text on a mission statement, but never really had the, why are we doing this? To be completely sure and pound something down somebody's throat or to get some peace and some meaning out of this rock ride we're on today. Anyway, that's, that's what I got. Thanks, Rob. Greg. Thanks for the discussion so far, guys. It's been really good. Just when Buddy was talking about when you just somebody asks how you get sober and you're trying to explain it, it's the exact same as when somebody asks you, at what point is this going to stick? You see these people that are stuck in that cycle of days ones, five, sevens, they get to that stage and then they fall back in their behaviours because they think that we've got this, I'm in control of it, and then they fall back into that cycle again. And it's disheartening to see people like that. But when they say to you, like, at what point is it going to start sticking? We can't we can't describe that point. It just happens. It's just something that it's just something that just naturally occurs. And we were in a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and somebody asked, "How do you surrender?" What's everybody's definition of surrender? And again, it's just something that it's something that just happens. You can't describe how you surrender. You can't tell somebody how to surrender. It's just you know it when it happens. I love the. Uh, I'm glad Tina read the Ron Hogan because I, I love the Ron Hogan verses. I think they're great. They just they speak to my level of uh, of my five-year-old self. Some things really need to be explained as basically as they can. And I love the first part. If you can talk about it, in doubt, if it has a name, it's just another thing. And what I've really done is I've labelled something 
so that it conforms to my limited understanding of what's going on. Um, and it's, uh, it's very important for myself to remember that just because I think that I understand it, it means that I can still be completely off the mark. So I have to be open and receptive to other people's suggestions, other people's ideas, and not close my mind to other people's suggestions to things. It's like when we work the steps. I think that there's, I don't think there's 12 steps. I know there's 12 steps, but I reckon just depending on the sponsor that you have, the, the type of relationship you have with the sponsor, the people that you're surrounding yourself with as well, I believe there's probably going to be thousands of ways of working those different steps. Um, so I think it's really being open and receptive to what's going on and not closing my mind off to to what's really going on. But I love the stop wanting stuff as well, Tina, because that just reminds me that when I start putting my materialistic wants first, then I really start to lose sight of the things that are really important. That's how can I help people? How can I be of service? And uh, at what point... At what point does it stop coming about me wanting and needing things? A couple of other people with their hands up, but it's been a great discussion so far. Thanks, Greg. Paul? Yeah, thanks, everyone, for the great discussion. I always love relating this stuff to our recovery because it really is intertwined. And I was brought up in a pretty basic Lutheran household and pretty much just going by the basic Bible verses. And I do find a lot of similarities between some of the things in the Bible and some of the things in the Tao. And I'm sure that's no accident, but, but what really attracted me to the Tao was pretty much encapsulated in this first chapter. It's trying to name things. We live in such a materialistic society that always wants to label things and label people. And I was that way when I was in my active addiction. I thought I knew everything and to get back what Rob said, since I've been in recovery, I know less and less <laughs> as the years go on. And that's not a bad thing. I used to think that was a bad thing, but it really is a good thing because I really am able to keep my mind open and to really live in the moment because I was one of those people that was either I had one foot in the past and one foot in the in in the future. And I was just never in in the moment like I should have been. And it's still, a, it's still a struggle sometimes. I'll never perfect it, that's for sure. But I'm going to try my best. <laughs> but uh, one, one thing I, uh, that struck me a couple of weeks ago, I got together with an old friend from high school, and he's not in recovery, but we've known each other for over 40 years. And he always makes a comment. We went to a club to hear my buddy play in a band, and they serve drinks and that kind of thing. And so we got to talking a little bit about my sobriety and everything. And he said that he was so proud of me because it must be really hard for you like to go to a club like this and not have a drink. And I said, actually, no, it's the opposite. It's easy because I made that surrender nearly 14 years ago. I didn't know what it was. I'm still not sure exactly how to describe it. I've been asked about it several times and I still don't know how to put it in words exactly. That's the way it should be, I'm finding. Like Buddy said at the outset, we just can share our experience. We can't tell people how to do this. If I could, I'd write a book and probably make a lot of money, but I just, I haven't figured it out and I don't want to figure it out. But I really do appreciate these discussions because it just 
it just keeps the mind open and it's just great to, to see such a, a group from all over the world get together on this meeting and to find out that we all have our stories are maybe different, but we have a lot of things in common. So I'm just very grateful to be here. Thank you, sir. Miss Tina. Hi, guys. I'm Tina. Thanks again for organizing this, buddy. I'm an alcoholic, a grateful alcoholic. Man, there's a lot of good things already said. Such a good meeting. I'm so glad it's back. This rings different to me five years later after reading it for the first time and thinking about it a lot since then. You know how once you read it, you just it's always in your head and you're like, what did that say again? But it's so simple. Like, and that's actually why I like the shorter one. I love that I the less is easier for me because then I add more thoughts and more things to it sometimes. But I do love having all the translations together. Something interesting that I that speaks different to me now is the is probably why I read it twice. The stop wanting stuff that keeps you from seeing what's real. I've been going through a journey in this past year on with shopping, with this shopping addiction, shopping, just, just buying things just to, I, I, it was like, I'm addicted to anything that makes me feel different than how I'm feeling. And that is shopping for me too. And I, the, if I just could just get the right pair of earrings, all the shoes, the something for the house. So I stopped buying stuff at the beginning of the year. So I haven't, I buy things for the house and food for the boys, but I haven't bought any decoration, any coffee cut. We'd go to a store. I'd be like, I'm going to be over. I had to buy something. I just had to go find something to buy just to make me feel better. And what I have found is I'm a little bit more depressed. (laughs) I use that as my God-shaped hole. And so I have been a little bit like, okay, now what do I do with my time? I've just taken a, it's really made me re, how much more free time I have now that I'm not constantly looking for something to buy or scrolling for something to buy or looking to be inspired on Pinterest to buy something. <laughs> I have to be inspired to buy something. So that's part of it. And I have so much more time to just sit and be, and it's freed up a lot of my a lot of that. And I think that's what I'm running from because it has been hard just sitting and being with me and meditating and it's not a place I want to be. And that makes me sad, but I'm, that's maybe why I'm trying to lean into the program a little bit more. I'm trying to just get some better stuff for me. I feel like I've created this space and now I need to fill it, but I had to go through this Oh, that detox. I felt like I was going to detox. And I remember I was going to quit shopping after the first, I know this isn't an addiction shopping meeting, but it's, it, it, what it showed me is that it would be alcohol. It would be drugs. It would be, it was a, someone referred to themselves as a, what you got a holic. And I related to that. It was like, I don't know. What do you have? We'll see what I feel like today, but I just don't, I don't want that that filling my my god-shaped hole anymore or whatever this is so thanks for letting me share that with that i'll pass thanks tina i think that in that second part of that first stanza for me i'm trying to control what i can't control in the first part if i put a name on it then i'm I'm labeling it i'm putting it in this box 
we talk about the higher power a good bit, what that means, not necessarily what it means, but that we all have a belief. And I think you're right, Rob, in that when we take those labels off, take those belief chains off and look at it as, for me, that was looking at this as God being love, then it got so much simpler. And then instead of having the beliefs like you were talking about, Rob, we flipped it upside down. We just went and helped someone. And in helping someone, we were helped ourselves, which is what we need. In that free from desire or that part about stop wanting stuff, I was just looking at another way to translate that word. And another way to translate that word is to not have a fixed way of thinking. So you can think of desire as a fixed way of thinking. That really opens that up because that's what we come into one of the one of the quotes is it's my fixed way of thinking that keeps me trapped. And that came from, I think, the first verse. That can be that desire. If you're wondering what that desire was, it could be our fixed way of thinking. It keeps me trapped all the time. I have to be open-minded. That's the one thing that I learned in recovery. One of the first things was that I had to lay down what I thought about everything. And I had to be open-minded and I had to be receptive because if I held to my fixed way of thinking, it was going to kill me. Yeah. Any other, y'all can share more than once. Is there anything else in here that you guys want to discuss before we close? We've got a few more minutes. That's been a good discussion. Thank you. Bish. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I I think the the paradox of this verse speaks to me, but it's really the third verse that drives everything home with the talk of desire, because I I'm driven by desire, the things that I want me, um, I want the effect produced by alcohol right and when i'm driven by my desires i have an agenda which means i'm not open to connections and love right i I want what i want and my heart and my mind are not open for example like in a meeting like where we are here if i've got something to say i'm just waiting for you to stop talking so i can say it right and my everything shut off i'm not really listening i'm just i'm active in what i want to do and another example would be like really good tasting food yeah or how about a beautiful sunset right the love there and yet when i desire it when i try and keep it from me right i'm wolfing the food down or I'm pulling out my phone. And I'm taking a picture of the sunset. I'm losing the magic in the moment by trying to make it mine. And uh, there's a the magic of the universe has been that push pull, right? That you can lean back a little bit and enjoy the sunset and know, take a picture in your mind or, or whatnot. And I feel as though some of that in recovery is the obsession of the mind that desires the drink over and over. If you can 
lean back and obviously easier said than done (laughs) in early sobriety. But if I can lean back, open myself up to you and let the connection and the love flow, that same effect, right, of love and understanding comes between us. And I'm starting to ramble, so I will stop it there. Thanks. Thanks, Bish. Yeah, we just do not have to figure recovery out. It's the first time I gave up the idea that I had to figure something out to make it work. It's quite the opposite. I have to surrender and then it works for me, just like we talk about with the Tao. Greg? Just what Bish said about the, the push and pull there. I usually get signs from the universe and it's push. It's kind of like a mix up of both of them. I still have to, I still have to be open and receptive to what's going to be going on to it. But I, I really liked what you said there, Bish. That was, that was really good. Thanks for that. Thanks, Greg. Rob put a note in the chat. I do not know what I believe, but I feel compelled to define what I am and label myself an agnostic. Funny, what is the drive to define the divine? It's that I think it's. We have a correlation between control and ownership, control and understanding, Rob, is what I think. And we're stuck in that where we have to. And I think it's fear based, quite honestly. I think it's still some fear to deal with because we're afraid we're not going to figure the thing out or whatever the case. That's I'm not free enough yet to say. And sometimes I'm nothing. I don't know what I am. That's that can be difficult. Any other comments before we close? I think we had a very good conversation today, guys. Thank you. A lot less of me, and I appreciate that. Anything else before we close? I appreciate y'all coming today, and we'll be meeting every week at this time at 9 a.m. Eastern. Hope to see you again. Thanks, guys. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.